Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about teasers and cold opens in TV episodes. What makes for an effective opening scene in your pilot? And what are some examples of great openers in television? Cut to credits. Dun dun. For our paper scraps segment this week, we're going to be taking a look at the Emmys three weeks late. <laughs> uh, we apologize. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I was in Paris when the Emmys happened, so we were not really able to discuss what went down before Alex had now. to have his Emmy mailed to him. Exactly. Uh, that it was, was all a big uh, ordeal. <laughs> but yeah, let's take a look at some of the interesting wins and outcomes from the Emmys. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the drama, I got to talk about the dramas first. I feel like... Handmaid's Tale winning Best Drama and kind of sweeping the drama side of the Emmys is kind of an upset, at least to me. I wasn't expecting Handmaid's Tale to win as many Emmys as it did. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's been very much in the zeitgeist and they, they had an incredible Emmy campaign with all of it. They had literally had handmaidens walking right. around downtown <laughs> LA and you know, Beverly Hills and that kind of thing. So I think they really put their, their effort into it. And I think it's a big win for Hulu because this is their first really signature series. This is their transparent. It's their Game of Thrones. It's their kind of stuff. I would say even beyond that, this is the Hennessel winning Best Drama is the first time that an OTT network has won such a prize for Best Drama, meaning that they actually usurped uh, Netflix's throne in a way uh, because Netflix hasn't won a Best Drama Emmy. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. That's so incredible. if you think about it, even though Netflix has been obviously on the forefront, uh, whether it's with House of Cards, The Crown, Stranger Things, mm. all those I mean, big they had like literally dramas. 19 nominations. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like across all the categories, I'm pretty sure their shows racked up something like that number of nominations. It's incredible. Absolutely. But. And I, I think that's why to me, at least initially, it was kind of an upset in the sense that if you look at the other drama series nominated, you know, you had this is us on NBC, Stranger Things, House of Cards, Better Call Saul. Those are big tentpole shows that everybody around town is talking about. Not to say that nobody's talking about The Handmaid's Tale, but it wasn't as big in terms of in the zeitgeist, I feel like, as those, those other shows, at least initially. Yeah, and Hulu really isn't putting as much money into that original programming as these other things. So to be able to go one for one like that with such a big thing is incredible. And I think it's maybe putting more pressure back on Amazon because they haven't had a big splash since Transparent. Like Man in the High Castle, I don't think, has been doing as well as they'd hoped. Absolutely, yeah. And so now the pressure's on again for them to bring, and apparently that's really what they're demanding over there is like, we need our Game of Thrones, and when's it going to come? I feel, to be fair uh, to Hulu, I mean, you have this viral campaign going on in the White House. So that by itself is enough. <laughs> they got all this free marketing for the society <laughs> that is to come. Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, on the comedy side, some other interesting developments. We have the first African-American woman to win for a comedy writing Emmy, Lena Waithe, who uh, co-wrote an episode, uh, the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None with Classic. Aziz Ansari. And uh, that's amazing, too, because she gave a big shout out to the LGBT community as well. And that was a really important piece of representation, uh, I think, just to see someone like that on the stage and showing that, you know, it can be done. And we're getting more and more diverse voices into television. Well, speaking of, do you feel that Veep sort of deserved that comedy win again compared I to think, the other shows on oh, the table? Man, I think that, like, don't get me wrong, Veep is great. But in the same way that Modern Family and, you know, all these other long running stays of shows just kind of seem to kind of get it by default a lot of the time. I think it would be maybe better deserved by some some newcomers who are doing something new and interesting. Obviously, it's a great show, consistent quality, but it just feels like it's, oh, oh cool, it's gone to them again. Like, I don't know. Totally. I felt kind of the same way back when Mad Men swept the Emmys year mm -hmm. after year. I kind of wanted, even at the time, Breaking Bad or... 
the leftovers six feet under any of those shows over the years i mean the sopranos before mad men sort of swept the emmys year after year after year and so some people have this idea of okay maybe a show that has won best drama best comedy series should not win uh, an emmy back-to-back meaning the, oh, the following year yeah. they should not be eligible what do you feel about that i think i would welcome that honestly i think that i mean you got to get down to what is ultimately the purpose of the emmys it's a marketing thing that is kind of paid and lobbied for by the, the companies to try and get themselves that recognition but at the same time i think that it, it is an important yardstick and, and you know when you see something like big little lies which just at the Emmys. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, maybe that wasn't on their radar until now, and they're like, oh my God, I need to go watch this. Apparently, it's incredible. And so it is important for that kind of diversity of content to, to get pushed out there. And if it's the same show winning every single year, it's just a little boring. Totally. It is a lot about perception. I mean, Fargo, if we're going back to the limited series category, I mean, Fargo seemed like a shoe in to sweep the Emmys in that category, and mm-hmm. it didn't. So I thought that was interesting. Or oh, The Night Of, also another example. Right. Of so many of those limited series, there, there's more and more competition now. Everyone's doing a limited series and they're all, everyone's raving about them. So it's tough. Yeah, I guess American um, Crime Story 2, where Sache <laughs> is going to be winning all the Emmys next year or so. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Or I guess it's going to be competing against itself. Because I feel like, at least initially, the third season, which is about uh, Katrina, was meant to be released almost right after the second season of oh, American Crime Story. Or at least the idea was, okay, spring 2018, ACS 2, and then ACS 3 is going to be in the fall. So potentially you could see two American Crime Story seasons going against each other in the limited series category, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. Uh, due to some production delays, Veep will not be eligible for the next season. So it'll be interesting to see what picks it up there. I know that we got a lot of attention for Atlanta this year with Donald mm-hmm. Glover winning for acting and also for comedy directing, which again was the first win for an African-American man in that category. So that's great. I love that show. I thought it was so fresh and original. It kind of, it felt to me like the TV version of something like Get Out. It was just like a very oh, unique kind of vision by this kind of person that is an all-around you know, performer, director, writer, powerhouse. Yeah, speaking of, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to Sterling K. Brown, who not only won for uh, This Is Us and is the first African American lead actor, I believe, to win the Emmy since Andre Bauer. I mean, the guy gave a shout out to uh, Pendleton, wow. which I mean, incidentally, we talked about in a couple of episodes ago on our TV pilot analysis. I mean, this is the time to rewatch Homicide. I'm telling you guys, it's uh, more relevant than ever. Exactly. And it's, it's, as we hear the police in the background, <laughs> the sirens. Yeah, I think this is a, a great step forward for TV in terms of representation and diversity. And even the Oscars last year, I think, were a step forward as well. So I, I'm optimistic as the years go on that uh, we're going to start seeing real change. Speaking of diversity, there's uh, another sort of breaking news that we can talk about in this episode, which is the kind of brand new Fox Writers Lab, or at least revamped revamped uh, version of it so yeah i don't know how many people knew about this one before because it was actually closed to the public you had to have a recommendation from an exec in the industry or something like that to even to be considered for it and now they have opened it up to the public for the first time you do still need two letters of recommendation from people in the industry and there are another other hoops to jump through as well in terms of they're only accepting 750 applications and then they're closing it off it's, it's kind of interesting, the model that they're going for. You submit the first seven pages of a script, and then they judge you on that. If you get through the next round, they'll read your whole script and then decide to take you know up to eight fellows through to the, the program. 
It's very similar to the Sundance TV or episodic program, because if I remember correctly, the Sundance program, at least this year, was requesting only the first maybe 10 pages or so of your pilot. And I think a lot of competitions right now are moving to that format for better or for worse, because they're receiving so many demands. Uh, with that said, I mean, if you are only receiving 750 applications for this program, which I think is perhaps half, if not a third uh, of what a normal fellowship would accept, then why not just ask for the entire pilot? I feel like that's more representative than uh, arbitrarily asking for seven pages. Yeah, it's, it's a little strange. And seven instead of 10, isn't 10 the usual kind of cutoff? I'm not <laughs> sure what the decision-making process is. It's interesting that you comment about the Sundance connection because I think the person who was in charge of this program over at Fox used to work for the Sundance program. Really? So maybe they're bringing across some of their strategies and their things interesting. Uh, from there as well. But, you know, it's another great opportunity for people out there to be submitting their stuff. And notably, they're only accepting original pilots. They're not looking at specs and not looking at features. And so. also the letters of recommendation are mandatory. It's not like the ABC fellowship where those are usually optional. Nudge, nudge, they are actually not mm -hmm. that optional at the end of the day. And if I'm not mistaken, in the program, you were telling me that they're going to be working on the same pilot that they're submitting instead of a new original piece of material. That's that it. Correct? And that's what's very different from all the others. Most of the other programs, they want you to develop a new piece of original material within the workshop. This one, you're taking that same one that you submitted to get in and you're workshopping it and rewriting it for, say, four months every two days a week with this group. And they're trying to make it into a writer's room type setting. So, you know, kind of like what you do with your writer's group, Alex, they will get this group of eight fellows together and and they'll be like, this week we're looking at this person's pilot and let's try and re-break it and let's try and work on this and that. I mean, it makes me wonder what exactly they're looking for in the script initially, because if you're going to be working on it during the fellowship, then does that mean the pilot doesn't have to be perfect or it doesn't have to be that compelling? It's just an inkling of an idea. Like what exactly are they looking for in those pilots? It's a strange catch 22, because you would think that if you had some perfectly polished pilot you've been using as a sample and you submitted it, you would hope that there wouldn't be so much work to be done on it. You would need four months of a workshop. But at the same time, you want to submit your best representative work to try and get into this program in the first place. So yeah, I guess what are they really looking for there? And it sounds like that the the script is the main thing they're judging you on. Mm -hmm. Everything else is supplemental. It's not a balance of all of them. It's script first, supplements after. I feel like maybe if this is a pilot that you're trying to revamp for the Fox brand or the the studio, the the production company, what have you, then it does make sense that, you know, you'd be rewriting it and taking notes in from the executives. But if it's just at the end of the day to get another sample out, then why not just create a new sample instead of reworking the one that you've been submitting to all those programs? It's, yeah. it's really strange to me. But. Yeah, I don't know about the whole rewriting thing, but I do like the idea of it being like a writer's room where everyone is collaborating on that stuff. And Absolutely. then they're going to set you up with meetings with execs and give you priority for staffing. So again, great opportunity if it's something that you're interested in. Check it out. You better do it fast if there's only 750 people applying. So... Good luck. All right, let's get into our actual episode and talk about teasers and cold opens. First off, Nick, can you tell us what is the point of a teaser? So a teaser or a cold open hooks the viewer into the episode. It's a short scene or sketch that 
should be a representative microcosm of the larger episode in the show, but it leaves us wanting to know more, whether through mystery and suspense, like who killed that person, or will our heroine get out alive, or the promise of impending conflict and comedy, like, oh no, what did the Always Sunny gang just get themselves into, or how will Fraser Crane survive his boorish aunt staying at his house all week? Cut to credit for the Sunny in Philadelphia gang, exactly. it's like they go into hijinks and then it's cut to credits, which by definition is what a teaser is, it happens before the opening credit. Writing an effective opening scene is about doing one thing well, and that is making the reader or the viewer want to read or watch the rest of the episode. And if you look at any of the greatest opening scenes in TV, and obviously we'll be talking about a few of them in this very podcast, those teasers are considered great specifically because they immerse you in their world or characters from the get-go. An impactful opener does not mean big explosions or loud noises. Especially in pilots, a compelling opener is essentially... As Nick said, a representation of what the best of your show has to offer, while at the same time serving as a tease to what is to come, hence the name teaser. You want the reader to turn the page, and you want your viewer to keep watching. It's interesting, actually, when you look at the history of the cold open, you know, if you were watching stuff today, you'd almost assume that this had always been the way that stuff was written, but it's not. Cold opens and teasers weren't very prevalent until maybe the mid-1960s. Before that, shows would just open with the credits, like, you know, old movies would put all their credits first and then get into the story. But more and more shows began to adopt them because it was an economical and convenient way to pull the viewers into the story and keep them around through that following ad break. You know, some of the first ones to really take a hold of that is Star Trek, Bonanza, shows like that. And you can actually see some shows transition midway through their series from not using teasers to using them. Gilligan's Island had no cold open for the first two seasons, and then it adopted it around 1966 for their third and Hmm. final season. But even in the 70s and 80s, when we look at sitcoms, a lot of them would just go straight into their opening sequence or their song, a lot of those really memorable songs. They they would play that, and then you would get into the story. And that was pretty common up until maybe the early 1990s, where sitcoms started to fairly unanimously adopt that cold open model. That's interesting. I mean, we'll talk about the differences between comedy and drama later, but I feel like just the fact that dramas were initially the ones adopting cold opens or teasers, I should say, is interesting just on the basis that dramas have a bigger burden on the story level. They have to do more exposition and introduce the audience to a new set of factors that the characters are going to be running against versus comedies who by large, are going to reuse the same batch of characters in the same locations. So I feel like it's an interesting concept, this idea that, okay, we're going to pull Star Trek, Bonanza, all those stories where it's going to be the planet of the week or the case of the week, and you're going to introduce those ideas in the first two or three minutes of that episode. Yeah, that's right. Comedies don't really need as much of that space to set stuff up. It's really just, here's a great joke and a little pull (laughs) into the episode. You know, a lot of shows, like, funnily enough, The Simpsons doesn't use a cold open. I think Futurama started using them and then went away from them and just went straight to the credits and then to the story. So it's not necessary, but it is helpful. And in certain shows, certainly like to utilize them uh, for their format. Has The Simpsons ever used a cold open? Do you remember? I don't think so. I think it's just always opens on the, the actually some of the Halloween episodes, I believe, oh, do a cold right. open and then go into it. But the regular episodes don't. Which incidentally, I feel like they do that because it's not the status quo. They have to introduce this new concept of, okay, this is the Halloween episode and we're going to introduce you to three stories that are completely unrelated to the rest of the show. <laughs> So let's talk about what actually makes for a good opener or teaser. What are some of the elements that go into that? Well, we start off things where we left off last week's episode, and that is talking about tone. 
Opening scenes are a great way to reveal and present themes and tones. Six Feet Under is a great example. I've mentioned that show over and over again. It's one of my favorite shows ever. And if you look at the pilot episode of Six Feet Under, the very first 30 seconds is this fake hearse ad. It's very tongue-in-cheek to present what the tone of the show is. And in fact, the opening 30 seconds of Six Feet Under almost makes you wonder if you're watching the right show. The show begins with this fake ad featuring a woman promoting in a sophisticated and seductive voice this brand new hearse called the New Millennium Edition Crown Royale Funeral Coach. <laughs> and then the episode continues with the death of Nathaniel Fisher moments later. And I've already brought up the Six Feet Under opening as a great way to set the tone of the show, but it's also a great way to present its characters. Now, on the flip side, if you look at more traditional episodes of the show, Six Feet Under openers cover a lot of elements we're going to be discussing in this very chapter of this podcast. So I'll discuss those later. But I did want to mention the teasers of Homicide. You know, Homicide, the show with Pendleton who won an Emmy that we just mentioned earlier. You do have your occasional teasers in Homicide by the case of the week, but the show would often open with sort of little sketches and discussions that barely pertain to the actual main plot thread of the episode. It's very similar, in fact, to the style of a, a lot of sitcoms or the way a lot of cold opens and sitcoms do, which is kind of a micro act that is there to set up the tone and the levity over just the plot. Yeah, that's right. That is a fairly common device in sitcoms. It doesn't always have to be connected into the main story. It can just be a fun little joke to draw you in. But you're right. Tone is incredibly important to establish as early as possible, especially in a pilot, and continue to reinforce and be consistent about that in the further episodes. You're setting up the norm of this world and how people react to what's going on around them. Now, compare Riverdale to Glee. They're both high school shows with a cast of high school-aged kids. They're both kind of slightly heightened worlds with quirky characters. But in Riverdale, in the pilot, we open on this montage of images of this kind of darkened town and this very particular look with a sullen voiceover from Jughead about how the town is full of secrets and darkness. And we see the body of a kid being pulled out of a river. Whereas the world of Glee is introduced with a lot more optimism and pep. There's definitely conflict and antagonism being foreshadowed there, but it's on a much lower stakes scale. I think the worst thing that happens is Leah Michelle gets a slushy dumped on on her, but she's not being fished out of a river at least. So uh, we, we have established the bounds of where these shows are willing to go very quickly in terms of both their tonal and even plot possibilities, which is two very different places despite so many of their commonalities. And for Glee, that is uh, stealing the tone of the movie election, which I definitely recommend. Anyway, a lot of that teaser is also about revealing or presenting characters to the audience, and that is especially relevant in pilots. I mean, the opening scene of your TV pilot is kind of the optimal place to introduce your lead character doing what they do best or even what they do worst. You're putting your main characters against an obstacle or an event and then see them react to it in an interesting way. And that is a great technique to show the audience or the reader what the episode is about. It's organic exposition. Now, you can contrast the concept of showing, not telling with the idea of telling, not showing. And this actually rarely, if ever, works in pilot teasers. I've been on the record saying the opening scene of the Scandal pilot isn't the greatest teaser, at least for me. You have two secondary characters at a bar talking about a third character who's actually the lead character and who we're not introduced to until later in the episode. If this was the pilot for Gossip Girl and it's all about people gossiping about other people behind their backs, then that teaser would be great. But the pilot of Scandal is about a powerful woman kicking ass in her industry. And that's what the teaser should show to the audience. 
And if you look at the opening sequence of something like Firefly, whether it's the initial flashback or the main meat of the episode, you see Mal, the lead character, doing what he does best. And through that, we learn what the show truly is about. There's a fun metaphor I like to use, and it's when a baby bird hatches, the first thing it sees, it actually imprints on and automatically thinks that it's its mother. And the audience <laughs> is the same way with characters. Uh, usually the first key character we meet or spend the longest amount of time with is who we're going to assume the protagonist is. We automatically have empathy and investment with this person. I think the more time we spend with them, the more important we assume they are to the story. So if your intention is to introduce your character or characters for the first time in the teaser, make sure to put them front and center and not just give most of the lines to beat cop number three, who's spouting exposition. Now that said, because this assumption is so ingrained in people's heads, it's often subverted by the writers. And we might spend a whole teaser with someone who we assume is important, and then they're murdered at the end of it, and our real characters show up after the ad break to solve the murder. Or, you know, as was spoken about before, the surprise ending and subversion of The Shield, for instance, where there's that reversal. And even the movie Psycho, where the famous star Janet Lee, an apparent protagonist, is killed a third of the way into the movie. And then everything changes from there. So be aware of those expectations, whichever way you play it. Speaking of which... Well, another element of the teaser is this idea of twisting viewers' expectations or playing with them. We just mentioned The Shield, which is actually the ending of the episode that kind of twists that uh, that expectation. And in fact, this is a topic that comes up a lot in all our episodes, breaking down TV pilot writing, because it's so important. And once again, here with teasers and cold opens, using viewers' expectations in that moment is a great way to make that scene matter. And in fact, if there's one point where you should absolutely use preconceived notions that your audience may have, be it about characters, genre, or story, the opening scene of your episode is that one. Now, going back to TV pilots specifically, it is critical to know what you want your audience to think. And there's no better pilot opener in my mind that twisted viewers' expectations than the opening scene of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, the show begins with two teenagers breaking into a high school in the middle of the night. And it's a boy and a girl, and the girl seems very reluctant, while the boy leads her around, telling her it's going to be fun to fool around in the high school after dark. The girl is pretty nervous and on edge, and she suddenly hears a noise. Are they alone? The boy calls out, but gets no response. It's nothing, he says to the girl. I promise you, we're alone. And the girl smiles. Okay. That's good. She turns to face the boy, revealing that her face has transformed into her real identity, that of a vampire. She bites the boy's neck and kills him. And that's what you gotta do with your teaser. You gotta shock, surprise, or bring some suspense. You want a reaction out of the reader or the viewer. Use all those tools to your advantage, and there's no better moment than the first three pages. So another thing that the teaser does for you is reveals or presents the story and the conflict. And often you can kind of try to create mystery within that opening scene, which will really help emphasize that as well, leave people wanting to know more. Although be aware of the trope of the uh, in-media ray opening in the middle of the action, or as they call it on script notes, the Stuart special. Uh, <laughs> it's where you kind of start in the middle of this action, everything's going on, it's crazy, and then bam, cut to three weeks earlier. <laughs> and then you're playing it out from there. It's, if you've seen the Rick and Morty episode with the lighthouse keeper, it's that as well. It's a huge cliche at this point, much like voiceover flashbacks uh, have been seen to be and should be used with extreme caution. Are you telling me you're going to force read to me your pilot right now about something that happens and then we flash back to three weeks earlier? <laughs> Open on JC Lakeham's hot <laughs> but doesn't know it. 
<laughs> All right, I think we lost like 50 people, right? <laughs> Again, we brought up Alias. That is a show that uses that idea of in medias res a lot where you have this very suspenseful scene and then we flash back to three weeks or however long earlier. Now, I will say there's one pilot that I've seen using that trope of the in medias res tactic really, really well, and that is the Breaking Bad pilot. And that is because the image we're seeing is something we've truly never seen before in television. Usually you can sort of figure out what the lead character is doing, but here in Breaking Bad, you can barely process what is even going on. I mean, the show literally opens with a middle-aged man in tidy whities wearing an apron and a gas mask behind the wheel of an RV that is hurling on a road. And in the back, the remains of some kind of lab are crashing left and right. And the RV comes to an abrupt halt. The man exits the car, ripping off his mask and coughing. He pulls out a camcorder to record a message to his family. Sirens are heard in the distance. Cops are on the way. The man walks to the middle of the road, gun at the ready. The entire sequence is one of the most bizarre strange openers in the history of TV and makes you actually ask a bunch of questions. Who is this guy? What is going on in the RV? Why is he wearing tidy whities and an apron and is basically naked underneath? Uh, Craig and John on Script Notes always talk about this thing of mystery versus confusion. And I think that Breaking Bad strikes that perfect balance of what the hell's going on? I really want to know as opposed to what is this nonsense? I'm being pulled out of the story by these details. I mean, it really rides that line <laughs> on this one, but I think it just skews into the, the, the point where it works because we're becoming more deeply invested in this story rather than being pulled out of it. Oh, absolutely. And I think we'd be remiss here not to bring up another amazing opening sequence in TV pilot history that also treads that line, and that is the opening of Lost. Now, I want to expand on what we've said in other episodes on that whole scene. In fact, there was one episode where we outright read the opening sequence, but I just want to highlight the true epicness of that teaser. And at the time, the episode was not just the most expensive pilot to be ever produced. It actually got an ABC executive fired because he greenlit that pilot in the first place. That's amazing and totally and worth it. Totally worth it seven years later. And looking at that teaser opening, you can instantly see where that $14 million budget went. I mean, we start with a man waking up in the middle of some bamboo forest, and then we discover alongside our lead character where we truly are, and that is a beach with the remains of a plane crash, including a giant jet plane engine still running noisily. And we don't have time to grasp what is going on because people need rescuing, and our lead jumps at the opportunity and starts helping people at the Christ site. And that is all you need to know about Lost and our lead character in 60 seconds, essentially. Yeah, I think that's a really great example of a compelling teaser. And I think what a lot of the best teasers do is present these compelling images and setting up of the world in such a great way. Totally. I mean, going back to Breaking Bad, obviously you have this unique imagery with the opening of the pilot. But even in future episodes, you can see that idea be continued. Early on in the show, you had more straight teasers that tease kind of the story of that very specific episode. But later on the show, if you look at teaser openers for seasons three through five, you have the teasers of the show that would often be flashbacks with dead characters with very loose thematic tines to the other 40 minutes of the episode. But whatever the case, the image of what is going on in those sequences usually stuck with you because they were so unique. I mean, think back to the opening scene of the third season of Breaking Bad. You see a bunch of villagers in Mexico crawling on their bellies and knees towards some shrine with a drawing of Walter White. No context is given, 
what the hell is going on? I don't know. I mean, I literally had to Google what is going on in this episode of Breaking Bad after watching it because I just could not understand it. And the episode itself does not answer the question. It's all left to the audience's interpretation or knowledge of that whole area of Mexico. Now, on the pilot end, there's also a similarly striking opening scene in Game of Thrones. I mean, you were literally thrust into that world with strange men entering some protected wintry land and then getting killed by some mysterious creatures. You have no clue what's going on. Tune in and find out what's happening. And I think it's really important to realize that you can find interesting ways to kick off the conflict in the story without having to jump ahead into the thick of it and then give us dramatic blue balls by <laughs> jumping back out to something much less interesting in that you know, three weeks earlier in Media Ray Trope. I think that Stargate SG-1 was a really great example of this, in my opinion. I, most of the teasers would open with the, the Stargate team or someone else off-world in a quickly escalating situation. Now, perhaps they were trying to grab something or someone and escape with it in time before the gate closes, or they're just on a run of the bill mission, they come under attack from enemies, or they discover some strange technology or biology that has some incredible effect on the world. In a way, we're still thrown into the deep end of the action, but without needing to use this cheesy device of cutting back to 24 <laughs> hours beforehand. The action happens, they're locked into this unfamiliar situation, and they spend the rest of the episode trying to deal with it as that action continues to escalate to a climax, rather than instantly deflating it only to bring you back to where it was in the first place. I mean, that kills all the momentum of your story. Someone is hooked by that specific opening moment. And then if you flash back to, I don't know, 24 hours, three weeks earlier, then you've killed that momentum. The reader is going to be like, okay, but that's not what I want to read. I don't care about three weeks earlier. I care about right now. I want to see how that person escapes that situation. You're just giving backstory at that point. And unless it really has an impact on what's going to happen, it's not needed. Exactly. Now, you probably started SG-1. I mean, you're basically speaking my language here, and that is Goa'uld. But the same- <laughs> 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 And the same can actually be said for opening scenes in most Star Trek series. Uh, except for Star Trek Discovery, which we can talk about in a future Paper Team episode. But a lot of the time, it's about setting up the main narrative thrust of the episode or show. We've we said it time and time again. In fact, that's the reason why teasers exist. That's to front load that whole concept of the story, which brings us to our next element of opening scenes. So another great thing that teasers and cold opens do for us is they get the inciting incident out so that that's already out of the way and we can jump into the story. For example, we might see the murder happen in a procedural, then after the teaser, we're there with the cops at the crime scene. In a comedy, it's probably a character in some ridiculous situation making some kind of mistake or gaffe. They break something, and then the rest of the episode is dealing with the consequences of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at any X-Files episode, by and large, the teaser is going to be introducing the monster of the week. And if you look at something like The Good Wife, which I'll talk about later in this episode, the first 10-15 minutes of that show is really about introducing the case of the week. But pilots can also bring in that inciting incident at the top. Futurama is a great example. We said that The Simpsons rarely, if ever, does cold opens, but Futurama, especially in the first season, did a lot of them. And the opening teaser of the pilot of Futurama is about a pizza delivery boy getting trapped in a cryogenic chamber and waking up a thousand years in the future. That's literally the entire premise of the show, boiled down to a minute of screen time in that episode. And you also see character being revealed by his reaction to learning that his entire family friends, and everyone he's ever known and loved is dead. He actually celebrates in that moment, and then we cut to the credits. You have a lot of exposition happening in 60 seconds, and it's actually very funny. I think what's funny about that, too, is that 
I've definitely read pilots before that would just take the entire half an hour to set up the fact that here's someone in a situation in the past and then eventually blah, 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 it escalates and they get transported to the future and they're like, oh no, where am I? I'm in the future and that's their pilot. You can do that in a teaser. You can do that in your first act and then still have the rest of the story to tell. Totally. I mean, that's not even what the show is about, really. I mean, if you spent 30 minutes or even 20 minutes with Fry in 1999, Seeing his life as a pizza delivery boy, that's not Futurama. That's a flashback to Futurama. I mean, that's the prequel show to the show. Exactly. It's useless. And it also robs you the ability to do your flashback episodes later where you get to see his life. Which, again, brings me back to Star Trek Discovery, but (laughs) we'll talk about (laughs) it later, I guess. But, you know, going back to those pilot examples we used on one of our earlier episodes, in the cold open of Community, it's everyone showing up for their first week of class. In Scrubs, JD walks through the doors of the hospital for the first time. In Third Rock from the Sun, the aliens arrive on Earth. It's a very quick and easy way to set up the situation part of sitcom. Ultimately, what teasers and cold opens are doing is asking a question that is going to be answered in the course of the episode. This question can be a plot question. Uh, Will she escape? A character question. Will he learn how to be a better father? A thematic question. Will justice prevail in the face of corruption or any combination thereof? And that question and the elements that are used to present it should be so compelling to the viewer that they need to watch on and find out. And finally, let's look at some common questions around teasers. And first of all, Nick, let me ask you, do you feel there are any differences in teasers between comedy and drama? I think that functionally they serve a very similar purpose. Uh, I would say comedy maybe tends to have a shorter cold open, one page, maybe two. And unlike drama, it is almost always bookended at the end of the episode by what they call a tag. And that's another little one-page joke callback or a wrap-up from something that happened in the episode, tying up a loose thread or even a reference back to the cold open. Yeah, I mean, I would say that dramas can also book in the teasers, especially now in the seven-act world we live in, you have a lot of those final scenes that are bona fide tags. And in fact, I think any good pilot will usually answer or continue the setup that the teaser introduced. So the pilot of Lost begins with a guy lost in the jungle near a plane crash, and the pilot of Lost ends with the main characters wondering where they are. The dramatic questions were asked at the beginning, and they're furthermore echoed at the end of that pilot. And in my mind, cold opens in comedies are often there to kind of set the specific comedic sensibilities of the show and sometimes the plot. I mean, just look at the opening scene of Rest of Development, which is an in media res example again because we flash back 24 hours yeah. earlier uh, but in any case teasers and dramas especially nowadays will try to go for something unique or odd to catch the attention of the reader maybe it's in the story maybe it's in the tone maybe it's in the characters of the action but i don't think there's a identical burden in comedies because comedies i feel like the main burden is to be funny and compelling versus dramas nowadays i feel like the burden is about being unique and interesting in in the premise Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. Another common question I think that comes up a lot is like, how long should a teaser actually be? One page. Well, I mean, it really depends on the genre, be it comedy or drama, as well as the network. I mean, a lot of premium cable series do not have teasers, but again, it depends on the show. The rule of thumb is five to 10 pages for drama with 10 pages really being the higher end. This is almost bordering on the full act and one to three pages for comedy. Now there are atypical examples of shows where the teaser is essentially the first act, especially in dramas. You can look at The Good Wife or even Alias. And in Alias, it also serves as the recap because it seamlessly blends in the cliffhanger with the action instead of cutting to black and then resuming that action. 
Overall, you have more real estate to establish the story, which is useful, but you also still need, even though your teaser may be 15 pages, I don't even know at that point, but regardless of that real estate, you still need to have a really interesting first few pages because if I don't care about the first two pages, then I'm not going to be reading until page 10. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that people will start to slow down and look away and get distracted if they're not uh, hooked in in the first three pages. Totally. And finally, let's ask, I was going to say our audience, but we don't have an audience. Let me ask you, Nick, because you're in front of me right now. Are there differences between teasers in pilot and other episodes? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if we're in a regular episode of a show and not the pilot that we're seeing for the first time, we already have a baseline for who these characters are, what they're like, the situation they're in. So there's no need to really set any of that up again in a teaser. The key at that point in a regular episode is to introduce some element of conflict with what we already know that these characters in this world stands for. Now, as we said before, The Simpsons doesn't actually use cold opens, but we're going to use it as an example anyway because it's convenient. Uh, (laughs) We know that Homer Simpson is an alcoholic barfly. So if we see him in Moe's tavern in a cold open, we're just reestablishing the status quo. But if Moe announces the bar has had its liquor license revoked, we immediately understand the consequences for Homer. Where will he drink now? How will he sustain his drinking habit? How will he get away from his family? What changes will this bring for his life? And we're going to keep watching that episode to find out all the shenanigans he's going to get into as a result of this. If it was some random guy and not Homer, it would be a big deal. He'd just go to another bar. But we know how special this place is to Homer and his identity. So it presents an immediate plot and character question to resolve. We don't need to set anything up from scratch in this teaser because we already know all that backstory. You just change or shake up something that's already there. I feel that must have been a couple of teasers of cheers. Because that was set up in the bar. So that could definitely, I can definitely see uh, Mo was definitely involved in Cheers, right? (laughs) But as mentioned previously, Six Feet Under does brilliant opening scenes. Every episode of the show, if you look at, speaking of status quo and the sort of the format of the show, every episode of the show opens with the death of someone, be it a complete stranger dying in some ridiculous fashion or a character we know and love getting killed in an emotional way. And whether it's comedic or a dramatic opener, that opening sequence would also serve as a narrative and thematic through line for the rest of the episode. Most of the time, the Fisher family would be the ones burying the dead. But regardless of their literal involvement in the funeral, the themes associated with that death or dead person are still intrinsically tied to the episode itself. And that is one of the many reasons why Six Feet Under, in my mind, is one of the best written shows on TV. And that is because all their opening scenes combine the elements that we've been discussing in this specific episode about teasers. Now, another thing you can do in future episode teasers that you cannot necessarily do in the pilot, in regular episodes, you have the opportunity to twist viewers' expectations about your own series. You can have that opening scene be something completely unexpected or challenging. Lost was very famous for bringing in seemingly unrelated elements into the teasers and then tying them to the main plot. I mean, the opening sequence of season two starts with a guy working out in some apartment straight out of the 70s which actually turns out to be the hatch on the island and the third season opened with a woman hosting some kind of book club which turns out to be in the middle of the barracks in the middle of the island with the others and that's what a cold open is it's a tease to what is to come if your audience is not just asking the right questions but also wanting the right answers then you've done your job well with that teaser 
right, let's look at the takeaways for this episode. Number one, the point of the teaser is to hook the viewer and to watch the rest of the episode. Number two, the teaser establishes an inciting incident for the episode or a dramatic question to be answered. And in a pilot episode, the teaser is also serving to set up the characters, the world, and the tone of the show. Number three, a good teaser uses strong imagery and an element of mystery, suspense, or needing to know more. It also capitalizes upon viewer expectations rather than playing into lazy tropes. And that brings us to the end of the episode. So thank you all again for taking the time to tune in and listen to us. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 61. If you'd like to leave us some reviews, please, please do so. You can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those will help us find new listeners and keep putting out great content for you. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TVCalling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, interesting openers to talk about or discuss. Good, good teasers for uh, your emails. Yeah, probably. I guess that's the first like 10 characters. <laughs> <laughs> Start in the action of asking us a question and then cut to three paragraphs earlier. <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, if you really <laughs> want to do that, you can send that to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week, Nick? Next week, we're going to be taking a look at meetings 101. What's it like to go out and take general meetings, pitch meetings, edit, all that kind of thing around town? And not just meeting people, right? It's not like, hi, I'm Alex. How are you, Nick? No, these nice are like you. official sit-down meetings. We'll give you some tips on how to get those meetings in the first place and then how to carry yourself within that meeting. With a backpack. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> see you then.